Hey friends, I'm Jenny Meyer, and you're listening to the Rooted Truth Podcast, where we look at the world through a biblical lens. We talk about real life, biblical truth, and how to walk with Jesus through it all. Be sure to follow me on social at Jenny Meyer and at The Rooted Truth. Also, be sure to subscribe to the members-only, all-exclusive episodes on The Rooted Truth Podcast by going to www.therootedtruth.com. Now let's get started. I am so excited before we start to invite you to my next virtual live Bible study. Starting on September 8th, Remnant Rising and I are going to be diving into the biblical feast. So join us for a four-week deep dive into the seven biblical feasts. You'll receive the study guide each week as we dig into the history and significance of each of the feasts. We'll meet once a week via Zoom to discuss the scripture as well as dig into deeper meanings and deeper conversations with each other. Again, we're starting on September 8th and I would love for you to join. You can register at jennymeyer.com slash Bible dash study. Hey everyone, welcome back. So we are in part four of the Walking Through the Bible series here on the podcast. And besides throwing in Revelation last time, I am going to do my very best to walk through the Bible chronologically. And that means today we are in the book of Job. Although Job is the 18th book in the Bible, chronologically it actually falls in the time period that takes place within Genesis. So Job covers the time span of around 2100 to 1900 BC and supposedly was written around 1900 BC. The author of Job is unknown. However, a lot of people speculate that it was Moses and that this very well could be the first book that was ever written um, within the Bible. So that Moses wrote this book before Genesis, before the other um, books of the Torah. Some people say this was it. This was the first one. So Job lived in the era of the patriarchs of faith. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those patriarchs that we talked about in Genesis that I highly recommend you go read about. It is so interesting and it's so good for us to really understand the Old Testament. I know I've said this before, but once I started digging into the Old Testament, I feel like the New Testament came alive to me as well, um, which made everything start clicking. So Job lived during this time. The book starts out telling us that Job did nothing wrong. It says that he was blameless. He was upright. He was God-fearing. He turned from any evil. He was righteous. So Job did nothing wrong. And keep that in mind as we work through this book. It also points out that he was from the land of Uz. Okay, so in Lamentations, um, specifically chapter 4, verse 21, we see that Edom was in the land of Uz. And it says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. So that leads me to believe that Job could have been an Edomite. And I mean, honestly, I feel like this could be a whole different podcast in of itself, but the Edomites weren't necessarily great, right? Um, So just keep that in mind. But remember, Job was righteous. 
So another school of thought is that Job was actually the king of Uz because in verse 3 of, of chapter 1 of Job, it tells us that he was the greatest of all the men of the East. And we actually see if we go back to Genesis 36, verse 33 and 34, that there was a king of Edom. This is before any of the kings of Israel, and his name was Jobab, and that's J-O-B-A-B. So some people say that this could have been Job and that it's just a, a translation issue as far as Job versus Jobab. We'll never know, honestly, but I think it's really interesting that Job could have been the king of Edom and that he was righteous. So let's dig in now to Job. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, all the way through chapter 2, you see the enemy at work. You see Satan, the adversary, at work. So he is asking God permission to attack Job and everything around him. So chapter 1, verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along among them. Okay, so the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. So a little side note, this is kind of a little derail here that stands out to me. And I want to point out to you, you see the term sons of God, which in Hebrew translates Ben Elohim. I've also heard it said Ben Elohim, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Um, in my research, I hear it Bain, um, but it's B-E-N, Elohim. So this is according to the Strong's Concordance. That's the term for sons of God. This also means angels. It means God's counsel, right? His counsel came to him in heaven and um, presented themselves before the Lord. Now, I want to point out another passage that uses the same Hebrew translation for sons of God, Genesis 6, 4. And I talked about this a little bit in the Genesis um, podcast that I did, but it says, there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So this usage of the term sons of God is the same translation to Bain Elohim. And I know this is totally off topic from Job, but I just wanted to kind of point this out because so many people I see have a hard time really believing that there were fallen angels that came and procreated with women. But if we see this same translation in Hebrew in Job that are literally saying like came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them, right? I don't think that that was the sons of Seth, which a lot of people use that sons of God as sons of Seth, Sethites, um, that view. So I honestly believe that this is angels. This is God's counsel came to him. Satan was there. Satan is the adversary. And um, he came to ask God if he could basically like attack Job. So God permits the adversary to tempt and mess with Job, but says, hey, don't harm him. Don't, don't, you don't get to kill him. So then you get to the end of chapter one and all through chapter two, we see Job struggle. He loses his family. He loses his servants. 
his livestock and eventually his health. Remember, he was wealthy. He was like the mightiest guy, right, in the land of Uz, and potentially even a king. He had a ton um, of physical possessions, but again, he was righteous. So he loses his family, all his kids die, his servants die, his livestock, his health then deteriorates. So moving on to chapter three and all the way through chapter 37, so the majority of the book of Job, we see Job's three friends come and try to offer explanations to him, try to offer some comfort, but basically saying like, hey, you're going through this because you must have sinned. Like, this doesn't happen to good people. Like, you have something going on. You need to repent. And in chapter three, Job begins to lament. He gets depressed. He starts asking why and even starts talking about um, death in the later chapters. Like, hey, I want to die. He is literally talking out of his pain versus talking out of what he knows is true through God. And he just wants to know why. Um and a lot of people, when they're talking about the book of Job, they're like, hey, he he kept the faith. Be like Job. He kept the faith. And yes, he kept the faith, but you know what? He struggled. He was human too. He wanted to know why. He continued to ask God why. And he did struggle. He got depressed and wanted to die. But throughout this, this what, 34 chapters, um, chapter 3 through 37, um, we see that his three friends, whose names are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they begin to talk, all taking turns throughout the majority. So they're taking turns with Job kind of dialoguing back in there with them. And the main focus, like I said, is that he must ascend against God to deserve what, what he's getting and that, hey, you need to repent. And it was a lot of false theology in there of what they were saying. And they stuck to their guns that what's happening to Job doesn't happen to righteous people. So Job, you're not righteous. You need to repent. You've done something. Um, yet remember in chapter one, Job was a righteous man. He did nothing wrong to deserve what was happening. Yet these guys didn't didn't realize that. But at least Job held his, held his ground. He's like, no, I, I, I didn't sin. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, But why, God? Why am I going through this? So throughout the dialogue between the four of them, we see him struggle. He gets mad. He gets mad at his friends. He gets frustrated with God. He also seems to question God and starts saying that he wants wants to die. Um, And yes, he never turns his back on God. And he does keep the faith, but he did struggle. And he he wanted that insider information from God. He wanted to know why and, you know, why God, why am I going through this? Why did my family die? Why did I lose this? Why is this happening? This makes no sense. And that was his biggest question. That was his biggest complaint with God. And he did start to complain. But can you even imagine, right? Can you even imagine what he was going through? This righteous man who did not sin. I mean, he he did sin. Everyone sins. Everyone falls short of glory of God. But he he repented when he sinned, is what I, I'm guessing. And he did nothing wrong to deserve this. But all this happens. Everything in this life was taken from him, except his life. He was alive, but he was in poor health. I cannot even imagine what that would be like. Um, and... 
he did keep the faith, but he did question. So this dialogue continues through chapter 37 of the book. And we see in chapter 38, God finally speaks. So God comes to Job, and instead of answering his questions, he begins to be the one asking the questions. So God actually asked Job a total of 70 questions over the rest of the book. And these are questions that Job can't answer. This is one of my favorite parts of this book, because honestly, I feel like in God's questions, we get to see this glimpse of this amazing God that we serve. And we get to see a glimpse into some of the mysteries of this world and and creation. For example, the Leviathan. So up until recently, I really struggled understanding what the Leviathan was. I heard cases of it being a real sea monster and cases of it being a crocodile and cases of it being a dinosaur. And it wasn't honestly until a few weeks ago, I was reading Job 41. Um, and I was preparing for one of my exclusive podcast episodes at therootedtruth.com. So the Marine Kingdom episode, if you want to check that out, head over to therootedtruth.com and get signed up for the exclusive episodes. But I was preparing for that, reading Job 41, and I feel like just in a, literally in an instant, as I get to the end of the chapter, God opens my eyes. Now, mind you, I was in Job probably about three months ago, going through the book just in my quiet time, um, reading, praying through it, all of that just in my quiet time. And then I hadn't been in in the book of Job for a couple few months and came back to it, right? So during that time in my quiet time, I was struggling. Like, I don't know what the Leviathan is. Like, I'm okay that I don't know, but I just really, I, I don't know. And again, um, a couple weeks ago when I was going through this, I get to verse 34 in chapter 41, and it says, He looks on everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. So it literally, I feel like God smacked me between the eyes, hits me like Leviathan is a demonic spirit. Whether it's Satan or not, there's some people that actually, after I got to that point, then I started kind of researching like, well, do other people think this? And there there are, there is this school of thought that Leviathan is a spirit. So then I'm like, okay, well, at least I'm not alone in this. And some people think that it's actually Satan. So whether it's Satan or not, I do believe that it's a spirit in the supernatural realm and not actually a physical thing. And in all of chapter 41, God is basically telling Job like, hey, you can't fight this thing. Who do you think you are that you can fight this? This is a spirit. This is a supernatural. Um, Only I can do this. You need to rely on me. And that's what I got from that um, chapter after rereading it. And it's so cool when God moves like that. It's so cool when God opens your eyes like that, because I feel like he does it when you're ready. I don't know if I would have been ready to understand that three months ago when I was in the book of Job, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Hopefully I'm not alone in that. But anyways, moving on to the last chapter of the book of Job, um, after he loses everything, okay? So Job loses everything. He fights with his friends. He has this dialogue with God. Then he finally gets it. Like, it's one of those, like, God smacked him in between the eyes, like, 
dude, wake up, right? So Job humbled himself before God. He realized that he has no right to question God, that God does not owe him anything, and God does not have to explain anything to him. Job came to the acceptance that he will never know why he had to suffer. And that was okay. And I think it's such a great lesson that we need to pay attention to and learn as well. And so the beginning of chapter 42, it says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, now, and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes." So after Job lets go of this bitterness, after he repents, after he forgives his friends for speaking falsely to him, God then goes on to restore Job's fortunes twofold. So he gets back double what the enemy took. And in verse 12, it says that the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And then he ends up living 140 more years after this incident. He has seven sons, three daughters who were the most beautiful in the whole land. And honestly, the best lesson that I think we can learn from this book in the Bible, the book of Job, is that bad things do happen to good people. And it's not always at the fault of the person. It's not because they're living in sin. It's, you know, I think some people think like, oh, you're going through a hard time and that's because, you know, you're sinning or you're doing this wrong or, hey, you're really sick, but that's due to sin. No, I do not believe that. In this world, evil is not always punished like we would like it to be, and good is not always rewarded like it should be. And we have to be okay with that. That is free will. God is sovereign. God follows his his rules that he set up from the beginning of creation. He gave us free will, and that is a part of our free will. So that's the book of Job. The recording of a story of a righteous man who responds to the trials of the loss of his family, the loss of property, and the loss of his own health. He responds in faith, yet he still struggles, and he still questions God. Yet in all of it, he learns that God's ways are better, that God's ways are not our ways, and that it's our job to submit to God by fully surrendering, fully giving him our whole life, our whole heart, our whole body, our whole soul, our whole spirit, giving it to God and knowing that his plans are better than ours, his ways are better than ours, and that we will not understand in this lifetime. There are going to be many things that we don't understand. And it's my prayer that I live and walk that way in life too, and not get to the point of complaining and, you know, when things do go wrong, letting go of those um those attitudes and just trusting that, hey, you know what? God's got this. Whatever it is I'm going through, God's got this and I will be okay. And he will restore. I love that he restored Job's fortunes and everything in his life twofold. Not just like here it is back, but hey, Job, 
you you finally got it. You repented. You understand. So here is double what was taken from you. And I just, it's such a beautiful story. So if you have not read the book of Job, I really encourage you to go read it. I know that it can be boring um, if you are not reading it to really learn it. So if you're just reading it to read it, it's going to go in one ear and out the other and probably be pretty boring. I have read it before and that's what it was. And it wasn't until a few months ago when I just dug in and I specifically prayed like, hey, Lord, show me what I need to know and let me just soak this up. And I think that when we do that and we pray with these eyes and to actually see what is in the scripture, it pops out because scripture is living. It is. The word of God is living and active. So I hope that you've enjoyed this journey through the book of Job. I hope that you go read Job and let it soak in and be be like Job. Have faith. Never lose your faith But most of all, know that God's ways are better than our ways, even when we don't understand. So don't forget, if you would like the free printable of the Walking Through the Bible series, I'm updating that as I go along with these podcasts. So Job is now on there. You can download that. It would, um, at this point, include the overview of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. I threw Revelation in there because that's what God was leading me to do last time. And now the book of Job. So even if you've already downloaded it, go download it again. It is at www.jennymeyer.com slash walking through the Bible. I will also put the link in the description of this episode. So I hope that you enjoy it. Um, Go snag that. It's just a good reference, um, kind of the Cliff Notes version of what this podcast talked about. So I hope you enjoy that. And until next time, I hope that you have a great one. See you guys.